Blog Talk Radio. At halftime, uh, I think everybody knew they were watching something that was very special. I thought I had a good chance to win it. You know, I had some dunks that were pretty unique. Uh, you know, the windmill and the 360 that a lot of other guys couldn't do. You know, David was just 6'4", and he was jumping higher than anybody out there. You know, jumping off two feet, I mean, which was, a, you know, a hard feat for anybody. And David goes out into the corner. And uh, he comes out of the corner, he elevates, and then he does like a complete 360-degree turn, and he dunks the ball. And he's in his home town. You know, we're in Denver, so we're in his building, and the building just, you know, goes bananas about it. And I'm like, uh uh-oh, I think I'm in trouble. When it came down to Julius Irving, and he knew he was behind in points to David, it became a match race between the two of them. He had to come up with something that uh, was not just spectacular, super spectacular. When doctors start to um, uh, go back in the direction of the other end of the floor and set his paces, and everybody just uh, become emotionally really involved. People did not know what he was doing. I remember Doug Mullen, a couple of guys on the side, because they were better. I, I couldn't dunk the ball from there, and I had dunked the ball from there thousands of times. So Doc took off running. And his afro was blowing in the wind. <laughs> and he took off from the free throw line. He flew in the air. I mean, he was a bird in the air. From the studio of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener. And so with that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question over and over sports radio. We like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sportsbeat, and we're coming at you live. And I'm your host, John Spool. So everybody, welcome to this Thursday program, the end, the tail end of March, March 31st, 2022, as we uh, welcome tomorrow the fourth month. Uh, of the year with April Fool's Day coming. Don't forget that tomorrow. And, of course, Easter, a very sacred uh, holiday for Christians around the world. Uh, And uh, so be it. Thanks for joining us so much on uh, Sportsbeat Radio Talk and Sports. We are in our second phase of the American Basketball Association. Yesterday we talked a little bit about the history. You heard the sound bite. That was courtesy of ESPN and YouTube. Uh, We heard about one of their greatest players, and of course that is the subject today, the ABA's best players. Now we're not going to name all of them, but probably 20 or 25. Uh, There were quite a few. If you remember, in 1976, in June 17th, which which was the actual date uh, of the merger, you know, the ABA uh, called it a uh, merger. The NBA called it expansion when they took the four teams uh, of uh, the ABA, and that was the Nuggets, the Spurs, the Pacers, and the Nets, uh, and uh, the other teams, as we told you yesterday, if you didn't hear the uh, 
interview. You can hear it on podcast uh, about the history of the ABA where some of the teams took money uh, to dissolve and are still making money today, like the Kentucky Colonels and uh, some of the other teams. And, you know, you heard uh, about Julius Irving, of course, uh, Red Arback, the great coach of the Boston Celtics who won 11 championships there with Boston mentioned that without Julius, it probably wouldn't have taken off. He was never uh, very big on the ABA as it was. Uh, he called it a Mickey Mouse league, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the league certainly did last uh, 10 years. And, of course, the NBA was salivating over the great stars that were in the game. Julius Irving was one. We heard the soundbite. David Thompson was commenting. Artis Gilmore was commenting. The soundbite you just heard, as well as George Gervin. All great stars uh, in the ABA, and that's one of the things the ABA had that the NBA envied, and that was great, great stars. Uh, and so uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, some of the players today. But on October 13, 1967, the Anaheim Amigos they lose to the Oakland Oaks 134-129, rather, in the inaugural game of the American Basketball Association. In its first season, the ABA included 11 teams. Pittsburgh Pipers, Minnesota Muskies, Indiana Pacers, Kentucky Colonels, and New Jersey Americans. They were called the Americans then. They played in the East. And the New Orleans Buccaneers, the Dallas Chaparrales, the Denver Rockets, the Houston Mavericks, and the Anaheim Amigos, and the Oakland Oaks played in the West. And so until it folded in 76, the league offered players and fans a freewheeling alternative to the stodgy NBA. It was a loser atmosphere, one fan remember. We could do a lot of things the NBA won't let us do these days. Basketball games are supposed to be family entertainment. That's what one of the fans said. So with that, the ABA was certainly a much flashier league than the NBA. In place of the traditional orange basketball, as we said yesterday, it used that garish red, white, and blue ball that Celtics coach Red Arback frequently said belonged on the nose of a circus steel, a seal rather. And its uh, cheerleaders wore bikinis. And uh, they said belonged on the nose of the circus uh, seal, as uh, Red Arback said, and trash talking and fights on the court were the norm. And the league had its own rules. It had a 30-second shot clock instead of the NBA's 24-second timer and introduced three-point shot, which the NBA scorned at first. But then, of course, uh, they, uh, of course uh, the game is ruled now today by the three-pointer that the ABA created. And... Its players had nicknames like Bad News and Jelly and Magnolia Mouth and Mr. Excitement. Two of its coaches were affectionately known as Slick and Babe, and the ABA teams played playground basketball, showy and pure, with lots of running. By contrast, one player called the, uh, recalled the NBA was kind of like a half-court game. The only team that ran was the Boston Celtics. So even though the NBA did its best to dismiss its rivals as a bunch of no-talent upstarts, the ABA's best players were hard to ignore. David Thompson, Connie Hawkins, they got their start in the ABA, and of course did Dr. J. Julius Irving. Uh, but the league didn't have a national television contract, and many of its teams had trouble selling enough tickets to stay afloat. That was really the demise of the league. It's amazing that it lasted, as we said yesterday, as long as it did, 10 years. So by 76, the league was down to just nine teams, the Pacers, Colonels, the New York Nets, they called themselves now, the Nuggets, the Spirits of St. Louis, the Virginia Squires, the San Antonio Spurs, and the San Diego Sale, as well as the Utah Stars. So the Sales and the Stars folded before the season was over. A tenth team, the Baltimore Claws, ran out of money before it even began. And that year, All-Star Game featured the world's first slam dunk contest, probably the most influential ABA event of them all, Dr. J., 
one easily taking off at the three-throw line and sailing through the air to the basket. That's what the uh, players in the soundbite were talking about, Dr. J and his uh, three-pointers as far as the slam dunk. So as the ABA was practically insolvent by the end of that season, it made the decision to merge with the NBA and four teams, of course, as we said, uh, made the impact. And the others disintegrated their players absorbed into other teams as free agents. And in 2003, for the first time, two ABA teams competed in the NBA Finals. The Spurs defeated the Nets in six games. Of course, that was the old uh, ABA uh, teams that uh, remained as far as uh, who was in the ABA. So that was a kind of a brief history of it. Uh, to talk to you about it. And, of course, the the last game was played on May 13th, 1976. That was the final game. That was a uh, playoff game when the New York uh, Nets defeated the Denver Nuggets uh, in six games. Of course, Julius Irving, instrumental in that first game, uh, shooting a corner baseline jumper with two seconds left to win for the Nets. The Nets would win in six games, and the uh, – that uh, was 112 to 106 was the final. That was at the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, Long Island, where the uh, Nets played a lot of their uh, home games there. And then only a month later, on June 17, 1976, the merger took place. And that was the end of the ABA as we know it. And, uh, you know, what a league it was. Um, the real demise of the league really was because it didn't have a TV contract. Now, they did have localization of uh, games, you know, as far as uh, teams had local contracts, but they had trouble selling tickets. You have to remember, uh, the NBA was really just starting to take off probably in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, it, it, too, wasn't, you know, a, a sensationally attended sport and it is the youngest of the four sports. It's interesting because when Wilt Chamberlain scored his 100 points in Hershey, Pennsylvania, uh, at Hershey Park, the Hershey Arena, which still stands, uh, every time I go there I, I always look at that building and marvel because it's one of the sports records that may not be broken. When you think of all the great shooters, Harry Bird and, you know, we can't name them all, I mean Kobe and, and Michael Jordan and LeBron and all these guys, uh, some of them have come close like Kobe and Michael, but they haven't done it. And that may be a record that may stand for quite a while. Of course, all records are made to be broken. We remember Bob Beeman's long jump in the Mexico City Games in 1968. Everybody said, well, that'll never be broken. And 10 years later, Mike Long broke uh, that record. So records certainly, as they say, are made to be broken. But uh, it remains to be seen uh, when you look at that. But even uh, the point was is that in that game, there was only about 4,200 people in attendance. Now, of course, it was played in Hershey. The NBA played a lot of games uh, outside their parameters of the city they represented uh, only because they were trying to, uh, you know, get more fans, uh, fandom in the seats. And that's why they played in Hershey. But uh, the crowds really weren't as big uh, as they would become. And, you know, had the ABA had a TV contract, which they really were never able to really do, and it's kind of amazing that they did all they did without really a TV contract is uh, kind of amazing to me, but that was really demise. You can't, uh, you know, have a league without a TV contract. The old AFL, we talked yesterday about how it paralleled the ABA in that uh, the owners tried to buy franchises that they couldn't get. They started their own leagues. 
The uh, interesting thing, though, is that Lamar Hunt of the AFL was able to secure a $36 million deal with ABC, and that kept the AFL afloat uh, for the first several years, and then, of course, it took off after that. So let's get right to the better players, and uh, there was uh, quite a few of them in the ABA. And so, you know, when you look at uh, the ABA and uh, some of the great players that played there, uh, it was founded in 67, was formed mainly for the purpose of merging with the larger, more established NBA. I'm not sure that was totally true. I think they actually thought that they could make it on their own, but uh, they did know that the writing was on the wall. And just because they always planned on being acquired doesn't mean that there weren't more than a few notable names. The ABA was full of interesting ideas and personalities, the slam dunk contest and a lot of enthusiastic colored uniforms, the red, white, and blue basketball, the league feeling that they had nothing to lose was much more fan-friendly and innovative than the NBA. And the ABA, as we said, brought the three-point play. They tried out a 30-second shot clock. And above all else, they seemed to truly prize the athleticism that made their sport so unique. Of course, players like Dr. J and George Gervin it would have been hard to contain such overwhelming talent. Thankfully, the league didn't get in anyone's way, and as a result, fans were given the opportunity to watch these athletes, some of whom have made the list of our 25 best players of the ABA. So let's get to it. 25th would be Freddie Lewis. Freddie Lewis played for the Indiana Pacers. He also played for the Memphis Sounds in the spirit of St. Louis. Uh, 67 through 76, he played all 10 years, 17.5 points per game. Uh, he was a solid player during his time in the ABA, appearing in four all-star games and picking up three different championship rings with Indiana Pacers. Lewis was also the playoff MVP in 72, as well as the all-star game MVP in 75 when he was with the Spirits of St. Louis. Unfortunately, his career came to an early end after he played just one season with the NBA's iteration of the Pacers. Maurice Lucas, the enforcer, we remember him basically with the Trailblazers, but he played with the Spirits of St. Louis and the Kentucky Colonels, 74 through 76, 15.2 points per game. Maurice Lucas embodied tough-nosed basketball in a way that every veteran of the sport can appreciate. In comparison to other players on the list, Lucas's scoring is the lowest, but for a guy nicknamed the enforcer, it should hardly come as a surprise that he was more interested in defense, something, of course, the NBA could learn about today. Lucas played just two seasons in the ABA, but his reputation preceded him as he was eventually named the ABA's all-time uh, team in 1997. Doug Moe, who became a coach, of course, played with the Buccaneers, the Oaks, the Cougars, and the Squires from 67 to 72, 16.3 points per game, two-time All-American at North Carolina, his reputation was discredited by his alleged involvement in a point-shaving scandal, and such, Moe was forced to the ABA where he bounced around with a number of teams and earned three All-Star nominations. However, Moe's career was cut short after just five years because of injuries, but his talent, undeniable, and he remains one of the great what-ifs of the ABA. Charlie Scott, of course, we remember him in the NBA, played with the Virginia Squires for two years, 70 to 72, 30.6 points per game. Su uh, suited up for just two seasons with the Squires. He quickly switched over to the NBA after growing dissatisfied uh, satisfaction with the ABA. However, Scott earned the Rookie of the Year award after averaging 27.1 points per game and then followed that up in his sophomore campaign with a whopping 34.6 points per game. Uh, the number remains the highest for any ABA or in a single year. Zelmo Beatty, 
Utah Stars, 70 to 74, 19.1 points per game. He spent time with the Hawks from 62 to 69. And Beatty made his ABA debut in 70 with the Stars. He was a uh, the Rashid Wallace of his day, having led the NBA in personal fouls and disqualifications on multiple occasions. And in the ABA, he was even more than that. He garnered three all-star nods along with the title in 71 and the playoffs MVP award in the same year. James Silas comes in at 20, the Chaparrells and the Spurs, 72 to 76, 18.2 points per game, a point guard for four seasons with Dallas San Antonio franchise. Silas would end up going to the All-Star game twice during his time in the ABA and eventually earned a place on the ABA All-Star team for his notable efforts. Uh, Silas played 10 seasons in the pros before calling it quits after the 81-82 season. One of my favorites, Louis Dampier. Louis was just a great prolific scorer. He played uh, all 10 years, 67 through 76, uh, with the Kentucky Colonels. He was an 18.9 points per game scorer. A seven-time All-Star and an ABA champion in 1975, Dampier was a distinguished member of ABA history, having dominated with the Kentucky Colonels for years and being one of the few men to have played in the ABA for every year that it existed. So after playing at Kentucky in college, his transition to the pros was seamless enough, and he continued to play stellar basketball that had earned him two All-American recognitions as a Wildcat. And Dampier would eventually play for three seasons with the San Antonio Spurs when the ABA folded, but his name will always have a place in Kentucky basketball lore. Donnie Freeman comes in at 18th, the Muskies, the Floridians, the Stars, the Chaparrells, the Pacers, and the Spurs. He was around a long time, uh, one year short of uh, the 10 years, 67 to 75, 19.8 points per game. was best known for his career in the ABA as a guard, traveled all across the country, picking up time with league's various franchises from Miami to Minnesota. He earned four all-star nods in the league title for his efforts, as well as one of ABA first-team selection in 1972. Marvin Barnes, Bad News Barnes, comes in at 17, Spirits of St. Louis, 74 to 76, and never as a player had two more opposite nicknames than Marvin Barnes, known as both Magnificent Marvin and Bad News Barnes. The forward split personality was indicative of successes and struggles that Barnes had on and off the court. He was known for getting in trouble when he wasn't busy playing as he was charged with burglary, trespassing, drug possession throughout his life, among other transitions. But when Marvin Barnes was focused, there were no better players. Matt Calvin. Matt Calvin comes in. Uh, at 16, 69 through 76 with the Stars, Floridians, Cougars, Nuggets, and Squires, 19.9 points per game. He played seven seasons in the ABA going from West Coast to East Coast before eventually moved to the NBA. A point guard who knew how to get to the line, Calvin set the ABA record for more, most free throws made and attempted in a single season. He was also a five-time All-Star as well as a three-time first-team pick. Warren Jabali. He comes in with the Oakland Oaks, Caps, Washington Caps. The Oaks moved to the, uh, Washington, of course. Uh, the Pacers, Floridians, Rockets, and the Conquistadors. 17.1 points per game. And after being drafted by the Knicks in the fourth round of the NBA draft, uh, he decided that he would rather join the ABA's Oakland Oaks, perhaps as a means to get more playing time. And whatever the case, he won Rookie of the Year honors in 68 and 69 season and a member of the Oaks and decimated the Pacers in the playoffs when he averaged 33.2 points per game in the 1969 finals. Jimmy Jones, 14th, 
the Bucks, the pros, and the stars, 19.2 points per game, a guard and small forward. Jones ended up tallying six all-star nods before his ABA playing days were done. And as the New Orleans product stayed in the bayou after his days at Grambling, though he had been drafted by the Washington Bullets, Jones was worried that Earl Monroe would take up all his playing time, so he stuck with the ABA. George McGinnis, we remember him, of course, with the Sixers, but uh, he was uh, – uh, a player with the Indiana Pacers. That's how he got his his uh, recognition. He was a 25.2 points per game uh, player, 71 through 75. He played four seasons in the NBA, or excuse me, with the ABA and the uh, Indiana Pacers. Uh, Ford and center George McGinnis was a homegrown Indiana product who flourished at Indiana University before leading his pro team to two ABA titles in 72 and 73. McGinnis was also the league MVP in 75 as well as the MVP playoff uh, in 73, but had somehow been overlooked by the Hall of Fame. He and Spencer Haywood are the only former league MVPs to have been left out of the club, and we're all left scratching our heads really on that one. Dan Issel. Played his career mostly with uh, the Colonels, but also with the Nuggets, 70 through 76, 25.6 points per game, and was chosen as the ABA Rookie of the Year, kicking off, this was in 71, uh, kicking off a career that would earn Issel more than uh, a few accolades. Along with going to the ABA All-Star Game six times, he won the ABA Championship in 75 with the Colonels when he was paired up with Artis Gilmore to create one of the most intimidating front courts ever. Roger Brown comes in at 11th, Pacers, Sounds, and Stars, 67 through 75, 17.4 points per game. He was referred to as Raja. Roger Brown was forced to the ABA after his associations with noted gambler Jack Molinas earned him unfair ties to a point-shaving scandal taking place in college basketball at the time. Thus, Brown spent his entire career in the ABA playing much of it with the Indiana Pacers and winning three ABA titles along the way. Though the NBA would eventually reinstate Brown, he never opted to play in the league. Retiring from pro ball after the 75 season, Brown was elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2013. Can't mention uh, anything without Rick Barry coming in at 10th, Oakland Oaks, Washington Caps, and the Nets, 68 through 72, 30.5 points per game. When you ask... Who has the record for the highest career scoring average ever? Not many will know that it's uh, former superstar Rick Barry averaging 30.5 points per game over his career in the NBA and ABA. Barry set a standard that ranks among sports' greatest all-time records. He joined the ABA after a contract dispute with the Royers' management prompting him to jump ship for the Oakland Oaks, and eventually legal action would force Barry back to the NBA, but he made the most of his time in the ABA, earning four all-star nods in the process. Mel Daniels at nine, the Muskies, the Pacers, and the Sounds, 67 to 75, 18.7 points per game. Aside from the final year of his contract, Daniels was a lifer in the ABA starting in 67 and leaving the league in 65, uh, 75 as a two-time MVP and seven-time All-Star. Daniels set a standard for centers in the league far out playing a 6-9 measurement as the all-time leader for rebounding and rebounding average in the NBA, Daniels led the ABA Pacers to three ABA championships with his notable scoring and defensive ability. Spencer Haywood at eighth, Denver Rockets, 69-70, to 70, 30 points per game. Played just one year in the ABA, but he certainly made it count. The numbers that Haywood put up are absolutely eye-popping as he nearly went for 30-20 and 20 in his rookie year. As a result, Haywood was rewarded with the league's Rookie of the Year at MVP Awards. However, Haywood's heart 
was always set on the NBA, and the talented big man quickly jumped to the Seattle Supersonics after his first-year campaign with the Denver Rockets. Haywood initially jumped to the ABA because of the NBA's eligibility rules at the time, which stated that a player couldn't enter the league until his collegiate class had graduated. So after Seattle owner Sam Schulman launched an antitrust lawsuit against the league, the case was settled, and uh, Haywood was able to enter the NBA. David Thompson, we heard from him in the soundbite, uh, Nuggets 75 through 76, 26 points per game is often compared to Michael Jordan as the talented scoring guard was an explosive prospect who could seemingly score at will during his prime. Substance abuse eventually derailed his career, but his end came after he already left the ABA with the Denver Nuggets. Thompson was at the beginning of his career, and although he played just one season in the ABA before the league folded, he was named ABA's Rookie of the Year in 1976. Moses Malone, the Stars and the Spirits, 74, 76, 17.2 points per game. We know what he did with those uh, early 80 uh, Philadelphia 76ers teams. He's more widely remembered uh, for his famous faux, faux, faux quote from the time with the Philadelphia 76ers, if you remember. But it was his time as a prep-to-pro player in the ABA that launched his legendary career. Connie Hawkins, Pittsburgh uh, Minnesota Pipers, 67 to 69, 28.2 points per game, and due to his alleged ties, as we said yesterday, to point shaving in the early 60s, post player Connie Hawkins was unable to play in the NBA as then Commissioner J. Walter Kennedy openly barred Hawkins from earning a contract with the league. Instead, Hawkins had to play in smaller organizations like the ABA and the ABL, and even with the Harlem Globetrotters. And during his time in Minnesota and Pittsburgh, Hawkins became the 68 ABA MVP and won a championship in the same year. Eventually, though, Hawkins filed a lawsuit against the NBA, saying that there was no substantial evidence leaking him to the gambling scandal that kept him out of the league. They eventually settled with him, and Hawkins jumped ship to the NBA in 68 with the Phoenix Suns. Artis Gilmore, Kentucky Colonels, 71-76, to a dominating center, number one pick in the NBA dispersal draft. He was a dynamic center who spent his ABA career with the Colonels. He won the 75 ABA championship with the team and earned five ABA All-Star nods as well. Known as a dominating presence within the ABA, Gilmore's numbers speak for themselves, and at 7-2, center nearly averaged 20 and 20 with the Colonels. Gilmore was elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2011. The great men, George Gervin, the Iceman, Squires and Spurs, we know him best with the Spurs, of course, 72-76, to 21.9 points per game. He was a prolific scorer, as we know, and a constant threat to break a game open during his playing days in the ABA and the NBA. Starting with the Squires in 72, Gervin was eventually traded away to the Spurs for cash amidst a fire sale by the Squires that argued the folding of the team just a couple years uh, later. Known for his patented finger roll, Gervin was a three-time ABA All-Star who would enjoy just as much success with San Antonio when they merged uh, in the NBA in 76. Billy Cunningham. We remember him as a Sixer, but uh, he was a Carolina Cougar for two years, 72 to 74, 23.1 points per game. In 73, ABA MVP Cunningham started his career in the NBA with the Sixers before taking a brief stint in the ABA with the Cougars, but this time in the league would prove valuable as Cunningham was a superior scorer and rebounder who also led the league in steals in 73. After a couple of years with the Cougars, Cunningham returned to Philadelphia before a career-ending injury cut his playing days short during the 75-76 season. However, Cunningham's contributions haven't been forgotten as he was elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame in 19. 19- 
86. And finally, well, you have to say uh, it's hard to argue, the great one, Julius Dr. J. Irving comes in at number one. The Squires and the Nets, of course, we remember him with the Philadelphia 76ers as well. Uh, one of our contributors, George Christian, who did uh, an uh, interview about uh, football uh, last month, uh, he and I saw uh, the game where uh, Julius Irving and the 76ers lost to Magic Johnson uh, in the sixth game at the old Spectrum for the NBA championship. Uh, what a game it was. But, uh, of course, uh, 71 through 76, 28.7 points per game. When it comes to Dr. J, little explanation is necessary. The man practically made the ABA, as Red Arbeck said, dominating every facet of the game during his time with the Nets. An 11 ABA All-Star and two-time championship, Dr. J embodied the high-flying atmosphere of the league with his memorable dunks, show-stopping athleticism, of course, it was his foul line jam in the 76 dunk contest that everyone will remember the most about Irving's time in the ABA. Though he would go on to win an NBA championship with the Sixers, uh, his time as an ABAer is where Dr. J made his name. And so that is a look at some of the great players of uh, the ABA and, of course, uh, the ABA uh, for most of us who remember it. Uh, you know, so holds a, a special place uh, really in our hearts as basketball fans. And uh, Dr. J and all of the people who were involved with it, artist Gilmore and David Thompson, all feel the same way, that the NBA owes the ABA really a debt of gratitude for a lot of the uh, things that were incorporated. Uh, and, of course, the players that came from the ABA, there was some uh, magnificent talent, of course, and uh, we remember them well. Well, that will about do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on the Great Players of the ABA Part 2. Tomorrow we'll be taking a little break and talking about uh, the upcoming baseball season, which starts on uh, April 7th. Up seven days, and we'll be talking about the predictions, the teams, players, and of course the predictions for the possible playoff picture uh, that will be back in uh, October. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mount Meadow Productions and Sports Beat Radio, and until tomorrow, all of you have a great day and great sport. Enjoy your day, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again tomorrow.